Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor, Eric Sandler. I have Reginald Scott, the winner of the Oxtail Mashup, coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined by my co-host this week. He is a passionate advocate for the Houston food scene. Matt Harris, welcome back to the show. How are you? Doing well, Daddy. Still <laughs> recovering from Thanksgiving, if I'm being honest. <laughs> yeah, it was... Uh, an epic uh, weekend of eating for everybody, I think. Indeed. Well, let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, Chris Shepard had a major announcement about changes he's making at his restaurants. Let me review them briefly. I think the, the most important piece of news is that UB Preserve is closing on December 23rd. Uh, in addition, Georgia James, his steakhouse, will be relocating to the one-fifth space for a couple of months until its new home in Regent Square is open. In addition, <laughs> he will open an Italian restaurant called Pastore, inspired by the current one-fifth red sauce, and Everlong Bar and Hideaway, a new cocktail bar in the current UB Preserve space. And finally, UB Preserve chef Nick Wong will be moving over to Georgia James Tavern. Matt, that's a whole lot uh, to say about what's going on in, in the world of Chris Shepard. But, but let's start with UB Preserve. Uh, this is a restaurant I'm going to really miss, I think. This is probably my favorite Chris Shepard restaurant. Could you just review everything one more time? I'm sorry. I, it... <laughs> No, I, I think so. I, I think uh, Nick and his team there have, have, have really found their momentum. And my, my visits there have been less frequent uh, recently, not not because of the quality of UV Preserve, but just some some changes in, in, uh, in my personal eating life. But absolutely, I will miss it. And I, I, I think the, that is softened or mitigated by the fact that he's going to be at Georgia James Tavern. Right. No, I agree. I, I didn't realize Nick's, re- you know, I know that Nick's resume includes uh, time working for David Chang and Chris Cosentino. I did not realize that he also worked at Gramercy Tavern in New York. So he has some ideas about what a tavern should be. And, and I think that's particularly important for Georgia James because People go in sort of expecting a steakhouse experience. And of course, it's not. It's smaller. It has a different menu. It's more casual. It's less expensive. And so it'll be really interesting to see what Nick does to put his spin on the tavern menu and kind of give that restaurant an identity that maybe it, it hasn't had up to now. Right. Well, and, and just is to give it an identity, period. You know, it's it's still fairly new. I don't know that it has an identity yet. So for Nick to be able to to come in pretty much on the front end and develop that, to me, that's that's the out of all the news. Uh, and it was a lot. I was only partially being facetious and asking you to to review it a second time. Nick uh, being able to still have Nick's food and see what he does over at Tavern is top of the list for for this guy. Well, and then, you know, I think we could talk just a little bit about Pastore and Everlong. Pastore is interesting. And this red sauce 
uh, Italian comfort, you know, Italian American comfort food thing has been a real hit for them. And they'll, you know, giving it a dedicated space, obviously they can expand on the, the pastas, the, you know, the lasagna, the spaghetti, the chicken parm uh, that they're already doing probably uh, maybe, maybe even a couple more pizzas. Right. And then Everlong in some ways, it's not, it's certainly not hay merchant because it won't have the, the 80 beer taps that are kind of the signature of what makes hay merchant hay merchant, but it will bring a couple of dishes along uh, I know the Korean goat and dumplings are going to come. Uh, I, I don't think the chicken wings, but, but, you know, if nothing else, if nothing else, you can still, you can still get sort of Chris Shepard's like most famous dish at one of his restaurants. Um, I don't know. Thoughts on either of those? Like, what do you, what are you, do you have a, a lean about which one you'd be more likely to visit first? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I, th- I think the, uh, the sort of thought is, you know, Chris knows what he's doing. He's got his pulse on on Houston and and I think probably what's going on. So I'm, I'm looking forward to both of them. feel like red sauce and Italian in general, maybe a little bit of a, a deficit and uh, maybe something that we're missing a little bit. So it's always nice when you can fill a, a void, so to speak. So, yeah, it's 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 a lot. It's a lot. All right. Well, let me let me let me give you sort of one other thing to think about is something I talked about with Michael Fulmer on last week's show, which is that Allen Parkway, which has not really been a dining destination until now, is about to get three new steakhouses, uh, starting with George James. Ben Berg is opening Turner's Cut, a very luxurious steakhouse in uh, Autry Park, which is going to be next to Regent Square, which is where Georgia James is going. And then, you know, Michael Sambrooks of 1751 C&Bar, and most importantly, the pit room is opening Andiron, uh, basically at Allen Parkway in Waugh. And, you know, I know that, you know, every time you see a comment about, well, there's too many steakhouses, like somehow that, that doesn't stop them from opening and finding an audience and being successful. But do you do you have a, a perspective or an opinion about which of those three restaurants maybe you're most excited about or maybe how they'll sort of stack up compared to each other? You know, I think it, that it's kind of all the excitement is, is pretty uniform. So uh, I'm fairly certain that I'll be visiting all of them. I'm not sure what order that will be in. And along with some other news that I think we'll talk about here shortly. You know, Houston is really poised to take the next step. Um, I think this is certainly a part of that. And it's going to be, you know, Chris has got a national profile. And so it's exciting. It's a lot, but it's exciting. Right. And and I think, you know, we could sort of say that Chris has spent maybe the last four or five years since he opened one-fifth kind of experimenting with different concepts, right? He, he retired under belly. It evolved into UB preserve. One fifth steak became Georgia James, which now has a spinoff of Georgia James Tavern. They're working on a new restaurant for the Houston farmer's market along with underbelly burger. And so if, if this was sort of five years of experimentation, I think the next five years is opening concepts that, you know, having, having learned all these lessons 
that are designed to last, right? Because I think, you know, in some ways this is sort of, he, he sort of played around with some ideas and tried some things, learned what works, learned what hasn't. And, and now's the time to sort of focus on what's, what's been the most successful. Yeah, it's, it, it's, uh, that's well said, Daddy. You know, he had a, he had a chance, kind of a, uh, a real world laboratory and this is the result and I'm here for it. Right. And just to put a pin in it, Wild Oats is the restaurant at the Houston Farmer's Market, whose name I momentarily blanked on. That'll be Nick Fine's new project. Uh, also very exciting. So, uh, you know, a busy next six months or so for Chris Shepard for Underbelly Hospitality and all of his team, but but exciting and, and a lot of new stuff to try. And, you know, we'll see how it all fits in with everything else. True story. All right. Let us move on to topic number two. You know, we've talked about post-market, the food hall at Post Houston, which is the new development in the former Barbara Jordan post office at the north end of downtown. Uh, but I don't think I've mentioned that it actually opened a couple of weeks ago. And it's, uh, it's already drawing crowds. There's, there's a lot in the, in the food hall and, and more to come. But just briefly, you know, Chop and Block, the uh, West African uh, concept from Opie Amosu. I've had Opie on the podcast a couple of years ago. We have a new ramen restaurant from Tiger Den owner Mike Tran. Uh, a whole bunch of Paul Keyes concepts from Austin, including uh, Eastside King and Tycoon. Uh, Salt and Time, the Austin Butcher Shop and its companion burger concept, and Gulf Strawman, a seafood restaurant from Norwegian chef Christopher Hatuft. Matt, let me just ask you, have you been to Post Market? And, and maybe just what are your first impressions of the experience as a whole? I have been to Post Market. I was very impressed. It has a feel uh and, and I say this uh as a compliment of not being in Houston. So I I think that again it's something that's going to elevate Houston's profile. Uh, I was fortunate to go on the first official day and ordered some takeout from Chopping Block and I could fill up the next the rest of this podcast talking about how good uh, the food was from Chopping Block. Uh, just fantastic. Super happy for those guys, for Opie and his team, and will be a frequent visitor and a frequent visitor to the post. So uh, it's almost overwhelming. Um, but uh, right. I mean, you, you hardly know where to start. There's so many choices. And, and I, I, I was there on opening day too. And I, I tried to just get a quick bite before the crowds kind of overwhelmed everything. I mean, there, there literally must've been close to a hundred people in line for uh, the hot chicken place. So I had a, a burger from salt and time and it was this, you know, coarse ground, you know, hockey puck sort of thickness, like beautifully medium rare uh, specimen. And it's like, as much as I am really enjoying all the smash burgers that are popping up around town, there is something about just like a super meaty, juicy burger that you can really sink your teeth into that just, that just hits all of my uh, pleasure centers. And, you know, in some ways, like I, I think Gulf Strawman, which is, which is sort of just like starting to get open and, and realize what it's going to be. 
Like I, I think a year or two from now, we could look back and say that was one of the best new restaurants to open in Houston in 2021, but we can't tell that yet, but it, it just has, it has so much potential. And I know Christopher and, and Paul Key have been sort of meeting with different seafood vendors up and down the coast, like trying to get really fresh product. And, you know, it might be the most ambitious, like Gulf Coast oriented seafood restaurant to open like since reef, you know, but, but it's not, it's not that yet, you know, but that's the aspiration. And so I'll be really curious to see how, how that evolves because that could be a real destination. No, I think so. And I think there's going to, there's an educational component that's going to go along with it too, uh, because uh, I'm, I'm not sure, but since you're asking, or I think you're asking, um, I think, you know, the spin is going to be a little bit more, kind of European in nature. And that's, that's different than Gulf coast and different than what, what is already here and different doesn't mean bad to me. It certainly means exciting. So I'm looking forward to it. The other, you mentioned salt and thyme. They did have a very nice line for, for their burger. Uh, they also have a butcher case and uh, I had a few minutes to uh, peruse that the meats looked really quality. And I thought the prices were very reasonable. Yeah. I mean, I saw, you know, a Texas Wagyu ribeye, I think they priced it like at the 40 ish dollar range a pound and they'll grill that to order for you. So compared that to any steakhouse, you know, a Wagyu ribeye could be 60, $70 or you could take it to go. And then we haven't even talked about all the, the house-made charcuterie that they do you know, that that's perfect for anyone who's like, you know, putting a cheese board together or whatever for entertaining or just for snagging purposes. And so, you know, that's another concept where, you know, people may have heard the name, but they don't quite understand all that's involved in it. And so I, you know, I think there's an educational component to be done just in sort of, we're going to have to go and learn more about what these places have to offer and, and kind of how they distinguish themselves. I think so. And uh, uh, the other the other big takeaway for me uh, was just the diversity of options. And, you know, you could go back a dozen times and try something different every time, um, probably even more. Well, and, and, and just, you know, even as we sort of go and experience and try and evaluate and then Roberta's is coming, the pizzeria from Brooklyn. So, you know, I don't I don't know exactly when that's supposed to open. They've been a little bit vague about it, but whatever, whatever you think of the dining options at post-market now, they're going to get even better. Yeah. It's, it's really, uh, after, you know, this, this project has been in the works for a while It you know, had been whispered about, uh, for even longer. It was impressive to see it in person, the aesthetics, the design, the concepts. I'm, I'm not sure game changer is the right word, but I'm also not sure it's the wrong word. Well, in some ways, it's just game changer is is maybe like too cliche, but but you know this huge like fifty five thousand square foot five thousand a five thousand person concert hall the 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 huge rooftop garden. I mean, you know, it, it, when you when you look at post as a as a whole as a as a whole project and not just the food hall component. I mean, it's it's a very impressive. Uh, facility that that will evolve. I mean, for generations. I mean, this is this is a 
a destination for the Houston area for many, many years to come. And, and so, you know, whatever you think of it now, like you'll think differently of it in five, 10, even 20 years down the road. Indeed. And as you're coming in on I-10 or 45 and downtown and, and you see that, that rooftop. And if you're wondering what that is, that's the post. You'll see the, the greenery and the trees. And it, it's really stunning. And then let us move on to topic number three. Just briefly, I want to note that Indianola Agricole Hospitality's restaurant at Edo has hired Martha Wilcox as the chef de cuisine. We know Martha from her time at Pax Americana. She spent the last four years at Cafe Juanita in Seattle. She won a Tastemaker Award uh, back in the day. I don't know, Matt, do you have any uh, any thoughts on Martha Wilcox returning to Houston and joining up with Agricole at Indianola? Let me say this. As a food enthusiast, this might be the biggest news item of the three that we've discussed. I'm very excited about Martha returning to Houston, and I think it's really big news for Indianola, and it certainly puts it back on my radar and actually very near the top of my radar. So congrats to those, to that group. Congrats to Martha and uh, congrats to uh, the Houston diners. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, you know, Indianola had a lot of potential when it opened in 2019. It kind of, you know, treaded water in 2020 through the pandemic as so many restaurants did. And, and it had, I agree with you, it had fallen off my radar a little bit. And so to have someone come in and, and bring some fresh ideas to the table, I think is exciting. You know, so I went for dinner a couple of Fridays ago and she's already starting to put a couple of dishes on the menu. There was this uh, really nice venison loin served with this really crispy spetzel and this uh, butternut squash puree. And it's just like fall comfort, like Texas flavors, you know, very ingredient driven. And if that's the direction that Indianola is going, then that's exciting to me. And, you know, that, that area, Edo, East End, whatever you want to call it, really emerging as a dining destination, Nancy Sussel, Tiny Champions, you know, even to a certain extent, uh, Night Shift, you know, just what they're doing in terms of the the bar food and the cocktail program. So to have another destination worthy eatery in that part of the city, that's all to the good. Absolutely. Uh, you know, street to kitchen is over there as well. That's uh, that all that road work is getting cleaned up over there or road construction, um, which I think will only help. And, you know, Martha's a real talent, really enjoyed her food at PAX while she was there and we uh we may have seen her at uh, a certain restaurant the other night and uh that kind of turned the light on that something was about to be announced and uh good for good for her good for indianola good for the um agricole group yeah she said she is a fan of this podcast actually so hello to martha wilcox indeed all right that does it for the news of the week we'll be right back with our restaurants of the week Stick around.
Today's show is sponsored by Balconis Distilling. Balconis makes grain-to-glass whiskeys at their distillery in Waco. I could talk about all the awards they've won or that they're one of the pioneers of the growing American single malt movement. Instead, I want to talk about flavor, specifically of their flagship Texas One single malt. Pour a dram and you'll get aromas of toffee and overripe fruit. Take a sip and savor the silky texture and flavors like lightly toasted bread with butter and marmalade. The finish offers more of those coffee toffee notes with wood flavors that round it all out. Personally, I drink my whiskey neat, but you're welcome to try it with a little water or even in any classic whiskey cocktail. Look for Balconis in stores, bars, and restaurants across Texas. Try it. I think you'll like it. Matt, for our restaurants of the week, I want to talk to you about a couple of places we've been recently. I want to start with J Bar M Barbecue. This is the newly arrived restaurant in Edo. It's done on a very grand scale. It basically occupies like most of a city block uh, on Leland Street near Emancipation. It is under the leadership of Willow Villarreal, who had uh, Willow's Texas Barbecue, a highly acclaimed food truck, his fiance Jasmine Barella, and uh, Mark Mason, who's worked in the Pappas organization for many, many years. And, and I'll say just sort of by way of uh, a disclaimer that, that we know a lot of the people who are involved in this restaurant sort of behind the scenes. And uh, so I want to be, I want to be fair, but I want to be judicious about what we experienced at J Bar M because this is uh, well, I, I'm going to assert that this is a restaurant that's still finding its sea legs a couple of weeks into into its opening, which is totally fair. You know, it just opened, um, and it is ambitious. So, you know, we had a, a visit there. Uh, I don't know if it was the first official day. Maybe I think it was the first official day. It was official. It was the first official day. They'd been doing some some practice invite only stuff, but that was the first. The first throw open the doors and see who shows up. Yes, sir. Um, it's a beautiful space, both the interior and the exterior. Nice big patio. The uh, pit room is stunning. And uh, I don't know if they, they give tours to everyone, but it's worth asking because it is as much a uh, work of barbecue as a work of art. Yeah, but let, let's talk about the food because you, you and I ate there on opening day. I went back a week later. I, I think it's, it's got a lot of potential, but, you know, I think getting the details down, the, the seasoning and the texture of the brisket, that's all a little bit of a work in progress at this point. Right. Well, and that, um, that's part of opening a restaurant. You know, I think it's – I. I appreciate going by early and then and then revisiting after uh, uh, a little bit to see the changes and improvements and, um, you know, have all the confidence. They've got a great team over there and it really it checks all the boxes. And I as you know, Laura is, is coming pretty soon. And, and that's not, you know, technically a true barbecue place, um, but in terms of ambition. I'm not sure there's something else like JBRM. Right. No, I, I think what really sets JBRM apart is the scale, right? 8,000 something square foot interior, huge patio, full bar. They're going to, they just announced this week, they're going to start 
uh, dinner service, at least part-time. And they have all of the kitchen equipment to do, you know, steaks, burgers, whatever, in addition to all the equipment to make all of the barbecue. So, you know, I think the closest comparison might be the new Fijison Spring Branch, but even on a grander scale, just because it's physically so much larger. Yes, I think scale is probably a better word than ambition. Appreciate your clarification there, Daddy. That's that's why you're the, the host and I'm just a co-host. <laughs> well, but but clearly I I mean there is ambition in in the size of it and in the aspirations for it. I, I mean, you know, we're I mean, we just have the new Texas monthly top fifty, so they've got four years to get everything dialed in, but but uh, certainly with the commitment they've made in terms of equipment and staffing and talent, you know, they, they would aspire to that kind of recognition. And I, I, I also think it's fair to say it just as you don't have to look any further than the Texas monthly top 50 Houston barbecue is at its peak. It has never been better. Um, and it is only getting better. Um, and you know, the old saying iron sharpens iron. So it's exciting. Um, the barbecue scene to me is, is one of the really big, big stories uh, to come out of, of 2020. It's also something that attracts national attention. When people visit, it's typically near the top of the list of, uh, you know, people come in and let's go eat. But we're, we're getting barbecue somewhere. Um, along the way. Uh, and there are just quality option after quality option. So, um, you know, a little bit TBD for JBRM to, to be mentioned in that conversation, but all the pieces are there. Right. And, and, you know, I, I will say, right. It, I, I enjoyed the pork ribs. I thought they were cooked nicely. I had the turkey that thought that was very juicy. They're about to introduce their own homemade sausages and uh, Jasmine sides are really first rate. You know, the marinated tomatoes, her homemade pimento cheese, the cauliflower gratin, um, French fries are good. You know, there's, there's a lot that shows a lot of care and a lot of thought has gone into planning this restaurant. And, and once everything's dialed in, I, I just, sky's the limit. Yes. Did enjoy the size, particularly fermented cheese. I thought that was an excellent version. It's something that uh, I grew up eating, and it's kind of one of those childhood dishes that I will almost always order because it brings back happy memories. All right. And then just briefly, I want to talk to you about Lao Se Chuan. This is the new Chinese restaurant in Katy. It comes to Houston from Chicago. Uh, Matt, I'm going to say we had a, we had a pretty good dinner at Lao Se Chuan. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, my thought is that, that living inside the loop, I would have to drive past a lot of really good Sichuan restaurants to, to go to Lao Se. But if I lived in the energy corridor or in Katy, like this is your spot. Well, if, if uh, perhaps you shouldn't have said what I was going to say, if you wanted me to say something. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> what, what dishes, uh, what dishes stood out for you? That 
filet soup I thought was was a great version. Really enjoyed that. I, I ate way more of that than I thought I would or maybe even wanted to, but it was uh it was delicious. I just couldn't stop eating it. That was the, definitely the highlight uh for me. Everything everything was good, um, but that was the one that really stood out. And and I, I really think you summed it up very well is if you're in that area or if it's if it's close to you, it that certainly it would be on the rotation. Uh if I'm anywhere past the beltway, it's gonna be a place that I'm I'm considering when I'm one in Sheshwan. Yeah, and I I mean I would go back for that picky duck. I would go back for the the fried chicken with the Sichuan peppercorns. It's kind of a, a staple dish of all of those kind of restaurants. I'd go back for uh the lamb that we had. Uh, I would not go back for the soup dumplings. They were, that was not, um, the broth was kind of mild and they weren't, they just weren't very soupy, but, uh, but really just everything else that we tried, I thought was, was really first rate. And uh, yeah, I think it's a, it's a nice addition to the area. Yeah. I didn't, uh, I didn't have the soup dumplings. I would have liked it a little more texture in the lamb, but it had really nice flavor and I didn't eat a lot of the uh, dry fry the chicken, the firecracker chicken, it was really good, which also reminded me that those dry fry green beans were really good. Oh, yes, they were. Yeah, the, a very good version of, of a very popular dish. Matt, that does it for the Restaurants of the Week. Thanks so much. Thank you, Daddy. And I will be back with Reginald Scott. I am joined this week by the winner of the oxtail mashup, Reginald Scott. Welcome to the show. How are you? Good, man. How are you? Thanks for having me. Thanks for doing this. Uh, you know, we don't know each other very well, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you kind of the, the generic sort of get to know you questions, and, and we'll talk a little bit about the, the oxtail mashup and, and some of the other stuff you've got going on, but... Uh, but maybe just start at the beginning. Like, how did you become interested in being a professional chef? Oh man, I um, in middle school I told my my counselor I was a troublemaker, and I told her that I was going to be a model or a chef. And I stopped growing. Uh, I'm five seven, so I stopped growing. So uh, I had to pivot to one of my other dreams. So yeah, it was it was based off of necessity, man. Um, having food at home but not having my mom there based off of her being a single parent working all the time. So we had food in the fridge, just no one there to cook it. So I undercooked some chicken one time and she came in and got me and then showed me how to cook chicken and the rest is history. Ish. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, so maybe talk a little bit about, did you go to culinary school or, or where are some of the places you worked uh, prior to now? So, um, I went to University of Memphis uh, Culinary School. Um, I'm originally from Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, went there, and it didn't go too well. I mean, it's over overly priced, um, and I feel like I wasn't learning. And I was right because when I got in the field, the real field, I was the slowest cook, and it was hard. <laughs> like you don't have time to do some of the the, the smaller things, especially on a um, a short, uh, short line cook. 
So, man, it's, it was just a short order line cook. It was, it was just very, very difficult going from culinary school to that. And so uh, pivoting from that, I took a job slash internship with uh, some of the award-winning chef uh, Andrew Michael out of Memphis. Um, they're, they're most famous for their book um, that they won a award for, um, James Beard Award for. Uh, work in their Italian kitchen, man. They showed me a lot of structure. Um, pivoting from that, kitchen wasn't paying much. Like, <laughs> an entry-level cook, kitchen wasn't paying much. So I went into fitness. Uh, and that was very, 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 the, the best choice for me at that time. It was very lucrative. Uh, but my heart wasn't in it. So made some money there and then stopped, got out of that industry just to come back to cooking, being poor and sleepy. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) how did you make your way to Houston Um, my best friend he came down he moved to Houston and said man the grass is greener on the other side and so when he gave me that call two weeks later I had I packed my bags and moved to Houston and uh, I worked as a district trainer for main event the um, entertainment company pivoting from that I went over to culture um being my real first chef job in Houston, uh, started as a line cook under the James Beard nominated chef, uh, Don Burrell, worked there for two years, uh, becoming a executive sous chef, uh, helping bring that restaurant into ranks prior to COVID. Yeah, what was it like working for Don? I mean, you know, she's someone, you know, I think we know well, you know, she's been on this podcast before. Obviously we watched her triumph on top chef so what was it like working for her what did what did you learn while you were at culture oh man i learned so much um i learned that the standard way of doing things are not standard anymore the french way of doing things and i was i was raised under italian classic italian chefs so that it, it rattled my brain of of what's normal because she had a style that that brung the african diaspora mixed with um, a lot of Asian influence, seeing that she was influenced by a lot of that uh, working uh, over at Uchi. Um, and so it just, it broadened my mind to like, man, I can really get creative with this. And so um, working, with her, working with her is very intense. Uh, you you have to have that stuff right. Cause other than that, it ain't going out. So um, I know that's how she got to Top Chef. And so uh, I'm chasing after, I'm chasing after some of those uh, dreams myself. Um, but yeah, man, it's it, it it allowed me to bring out the inner like. What am I trying to say? Um, you know, Goodwill Hunting, the, uh, Matt Damon and Goodwill Hunting. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm like Matt Damon, and um, she's more like Robin Williams. Like I'm a genius with it, but I just didn't know it, and so. <laughs> Yeah, you're you're doing the you're solving equations on the chalkboard after dark, and she's uh, you know, she's she's out in the limelight, like making it happen. Right, she was out in the limelight making it happen. So it's like, and so we would. I mean, don't don't get me far. She's a genius, but, but like I'm not I'm not just crediting her. She's a genius, but when I, that's why I say Robin Williams. So she was more so the one that was like guiding me and said, "Hey, you can do this." Right. You you had the potential. You needed someone to kind of shape you and, and point you in the right direction. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. And, and since leaving culture, man, it, it has proven 
proven well for me, man. I've won a couple of, of, of awards. Um, one being the most recent, the Oxtail mashup, a uh, couple previous ones. Um, I won a, did a local love competition. Uh, it was like a mock-up of the Houston rodeo saying that they didn't have it in 2020. And so uh, I did it over uh, at Rise Rooftop. And then uh, previous to that, winning the, ta- the taco competition over at uh, Eighth Wonder. Well, yeah. So, so maybe talk about your dish at the Oxtail Mashup. And, and I'll tell you, I don't, I don't know if you know this, but you were the last, I was on the judging panel. You were the last dish that we tasted, which is usually a really tough place to be because, you know, we've, we've had, at that point, we had had 11 other dishes and we had certainly had our favorites and, and, you know, a couple that I, I thought were actually, you know, sometimes you, I feel like, you know, you know, this is the winning dish or this could right. be the winning dish and it's hard to stand out, but, but maybe talk a little bit about, about what you served and, and how you conceived of it. All right. So Eric, let me, let me back up a little bit. So are you familiar to, of the way diamonds are made? <laughs> uh, pressure and time, I think is the, the, the colloquial answer. Pressure and time, baby. So like, that's why they saved me for last. So the pressure was on and all I had is time. Cause I just, let everybody else mess up so I can shine. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, so to elaborate more so on the dish, um, it was a birth child of uh, one of the dish that I tried um, working with Chef uh, James Haywood uh, and Chef Ross Coleman. So they made a Yaji chicken. Uh, rich street translation just means suya. And so um, they made a Yaji chicken and it was so beautiful. Um, I actually served it to you when you came. Uh, when you came over to Lit Chicken? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So they, and so being inspired by that dish, I was like, man, I know I can make a good oxtail, man. I love to stand out. So um, I took the oxtail, man. I smoked it for four hours, got a good sear on it. I smoked it high. Um, I made a groundnut stew, almost like how you will make uh, sofritas, um, and seared it real hard, got it good, some good coloring on it, um, and took, of course, that suya, suya seasoning, um, also with uh, some ground, uh, ground peanut sauce I made, um, and blended that and stewed that down for a few hours. Uh, that's where you get that good richness. Uh, I make a African pickle that I've been selling at market for a couple, about a year, year and a half, um, that I've been selling at the Braveswood Farmer's Market. And actually that's the the pickle that, that pays for all of this. <laughs> the pickle that pays the bills, so to say. <laughs> the pickle that pays the bills, that's exactly what it is. And so um, that was that, that tartness that you had on the side uh, because that dish was meant to make sense. So you had the sweet uh, yam on the bottom, the white Japanese yam, uh, the rich uh, suya groundnut suya oxtail that's been smoked um, atop that. Uh, I took beef trout, tripe. I took beef tripe and I took tendon and I um, braised them for 18 hours together. Uh, I compressed it, um, sliced it. It turned out horrible. Oh, oh man, I was I was shaking out my boobs. Um I took a last minute adjustment and 
cooked it a little longer and was able to make that beautiful um, puffed comb you got on top. Yeah, basically tripe chicharrones. Tripe chicharrones. That's that's exactly what it was. Um, Because the tripe didn't turn out well by itself. It was like too bitter, but tendon doesn't have much flavor. So I had to come up with a a healthy median. Um, And then like, so so what what was some of the highlights that you liked about the dismiss, Eric? Well, I, I mean, I, I think you've talked about a lot of them, right? I, I thought the smoke was was a really good element. I thought the the suya spice was was just right on. Uh, the peanut sauce was added a little crunch, a little texture, and and that chicharron, that 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 crunch was a a really welcome element, you know, because so much braised or or smoked short rib or not short rib but oxtail you know it's it kind of gets all one texture right so to have to have conceptualized a textural component that enhanced the the overall dish i thought that was really smart uh and like i said you were you were definitely up against it because going last is always really hard going first going first and going last are the the two things you don't want to do in any sort of like culinary judging opportunity at least in my experience so uh for you to have stood out and and i'll say you know we were in there uh, you know it was me it was felice sloan who's uh it was michelle wallace from gatlin's barbecue it was cam franklin from the sufferers and it was marcus davis owner of the breakfast club and marcus was like look it's got to taste like it's got to taste like grandma but (laughs) but better than that you know it's it's got to be familiar but it's got to have a twist. And so, you know, I, for, at least for, for his, for the way he was voting. And, and I thought that that was a really good uh, perspective. And so, you know, I was kind of looking for that too. So and, somebody must have a West African grandma. Cause that was definitely a West <laughs> African. <laughs> well, it, you know, and of course he was the owner, he's the owner of culture. So, right. you know, he, he knows those flavors very well. Uh, and, and so it, it all, it all came together really nicely. And, uh, you know, you only, you, you beat second place by one point. So it really could have gone, it really could have gone either way. Oof. See, uh, I mean, it's, it's diamonds. We build a diamonds over here, Eric. We build a diamonds. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I mean, the other thing that you've got going on is that you're going back to culture for their uh, black chef table series mm-hmm. uh, in January. So, so maybe talk a little bit about uh, what you're doing and, and kind of what it means to you to be involved. I mean, that's a, that's a distinguished group. Michelle, Michelle did that. Uh, James and Ross just did that so, or are doing that uh, I think next week. So, so what's that like for you as a young chef to be included in, in a program like that? Oh man, it, it shows that my hard work is not going in vain. Uh, it shows that um, life moves full circle because granted that was my, my officially first job I've ever interviewed for in Houston. I think it's like one of one of two jobs that I've ever interviewed for in Houston, man. And to go back there and be a highlighting chef means a lot. Um, and also being the name of, I mean, James Haywood and Ross Coleman were semifinalists in a James Beard. And so, um, same James Beer South Southwest or something like that, like South That's East, right. What it That's was. right. Southwest. Yeah. And so to to be in the names, the likeness of them, I mean, it's it's huge. Uh, my first official year of being a um, 
a solo solo chef. Um, I really can't call myself an executive chef unless because I don't have too many employees. So it's like <laughs> I'm only <laughs> <man>. <laughs> so um, so being being a young chef more so. Um, and to be in the likes of those guys, uh, Michelle, she's doing rock star things over there at Gatlin's. And uh, a couple more chefs on the lineup that's doing really well, doing really big things uh, in the culinary industry. And to be in the likes of them um, really makes me feel elated. Like, I can't wait. Um, and about the dinner series, um, it's January 14th, 15th. Uh, it's two seatings. Um, and what I'm doing is a series called No Smoke. Uh, no smoke being like a colloquialism for I don't want any problems. <laughs> okay. And so um, each time I bring out a new dish, I'm going to tell, tell you why I want no smoke. And seeing that I have an international barbecue, I'm going to like infuse smoke into every dish. Like everything will be smoked or have a smoke component. Um, I have a dessert um it's a Melba pudding. Um, it's like a South African spoon pudding, a West African spoon pudding. And I'm going to make a smoked cocoa to go over top. Man, it's going to be so delicious. I'm super excited for everyone to try it. I, I mean, do you think that that's kind of your culinary, the direction you'd like to explore? You know, some combination of you know, smoked proteins and, and African flavor, West African flavors? No, man. So my, my, um, company, my barbecue company is called uncle Reggie's international barbecue. So I have, man, I had an Indian walk up to me one day at the uh, farmer's market and asked me what part of India my mom's from. I said, excuse me. He said, what part of India? Cause man, I've never tasted biryani. That, that's that good. He was like, man, the only place I've ever ate it this good was Himalaya. And <laughs> And we all know what Himalaya's biryani tastes like. It's amazing. And so um, I, I make like different flavors, something different. I, I, like Marcus said, I want it to taste like your mom, but better every time. And so whoever, wherever your mom's from, whatever she makes, I want to make it better. No, no, I, I think that's a, that's a very, uh, I, that, that's a potentially very lucrative uh, direction. Uh so talk about maybe what you're doing now. You said you're selling pickles at the Brazewood Farmer's Market. Obviously, you're doing these, these pop-ups. Like, what all do you have going on? And, and then, you know, what are you, what are you building towards? What do you aspire to? Okay, so um, I have a lot going on. I have a lot going on, man. I, I buy new shoes every day, man, because I wear them out because I work so much. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but no, so uh, right now I'm doing some consulting work. Um, Hence, I'm sitting in the car during the interview. Uh, I'm doing some search consulting work uh, in North Mississippi um, to start a new restaurant out here, coming back to Houston in January to, I mean, get back on the grind. I, uh, I inspire to have a restaurant, beer garden-ish. Like, it's, it's a whole, like... Um, chef to table like relaxed but where you can eat like like good real 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 good um culinary chef inspired food but also it's like an outdoor beer outdoor food hall okay so imagine if you can drop um finn hall and 
outdoor, take the roof off of it. People walk around, they drink beer, they the kids get to play. You can't really take your kids to the bar unless you go to the beer garden. So, and, and that's I, I'm real family oriented. So, like to have, I want to be able to take my children to the bar because I want to drink, but I also want them to have fun. So, I want to open up something fun, like um, almost like an action rad. If I had like a point, yeah, point point uh, of reference of what I'm looking to do. But also, man, I'm a free agent. So any chefs hearing this, any restaurants hearing this, holla at me. <laughs> <laughs> Put you to work. Put me to work. <laughs> um, but yeah, man, I've um I've did some consulting work uh throughout Houston for um a couple of different restaurants. Uh one of them being the most famous that's on my resume, uh, is for Christine Ha over at the blind, not the blind goat, over at uh Sin Chow. Yep. Yep, uh, working also working with uh, Chef Tony, doing some collaborations with him earlier last year. Um, I got to throw that out there, man. Some big names, so it's got to. No, I mean big names at a successful restaurant, and and so when you're working with you know Christine, who's obviously I mean legit famous, right? Uh, you know, what's it like to kind of work with them, and and what do you what did you bring to that project? Because I. It wouldn't necessarily have occurred to me that that like you'd be working in a Vietnamese restaurant. Yeah, man. Like I like I said, man. I I want to bring what your mom made. I want to make it better. And so, um, one of my one of my key dishes, which started on the menu, I'm not sure that's on the menu as of today. Uh, last time I went, it was uh, it was one of the their their chicken pate. Mm-hmm. Their chicken pate. Um, man, they they wanted a good chicken pate and Tony tried mine. He's like, yeah, this is it. This is it. No. Uh, and he, 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 he's a good friend of mine. So he knew culinarily where my head was or where my head is and like the way I dream and think. So like, I, I'll throw some up in the air. Like, uh, one of also one of the dipping sauces they use, man, it was uh, a burp child of Tony's, but, like we sat there and we just tasted it and tasted it and tasted it. And like, I call it consulting cause I help like everybody get, everybody get writer's credit. Right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I yeah. Just you're, you're like a, you're like, like in a movie, you're a producer. Right. Right. A ghostwriter or something. If, if yeah, exactly. Like, right. You're in the, yeah. On a sitcom, you're in the writer's room. Right. 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 Just turning out, uh, writing jokes for other people to tell. Right. Right. And so now it's my turn. It's my turn to tell the 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 joke, like the cruel sense of humor. Is like, ha ha, ha I'm out of the background now. <laughs> yeah, you're the uh, you're the Larry David, right? You, you helped create right. Seinfeld, and now you get to be in front of the camera. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. That's exactly. Seinfeld is like one of my favorite shows. Like that's that's crazy that you use that that reference. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, we are uh, we're we're coming to the end. Okay. Is there anything I haven't asked you about that you would like to talk about? No, not really. Uh, really just wanting people to just support me, follow me, um, like follow the movement, follow the growth, man. Cause I've really started from like nothing leaving, uh, pivoting off of the whole COVID thing. Um, and like I said, man, to be in the likes and to even get this interview, man, I remember listening to this interview, uh, with you and Don, about year year plus um ago 
like when I think she was doing the butcher's ball. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had a conversation and um, remember listening to that being super stoked for her. And now like I'm over here, like smiling and sweating because <laughs> I get to get, catch this interview as well. Well, you know, it's it wasn't it wasn't an official prize of uh, of winning the oxtail mashup, but you know, I talked to to Warren and and the organizers, and okay. you know, we we kind of agreed that it was a good a good opportunity to feature someone who probably just looking at that roster. I mean, other than than maybe Johnny, I don't think anybody had been on the show before, so I, I thought it'd be a fun a fun way to to get to get the audience in connection with uh, someone they might not have been familiar with. Right. And so, like, man, my going into that competition, I told myself. One person that I had on the steeple, I don't care if 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 I lost, man, Johnny's legit famous, too. And so if if I can just get into a judge's ear after the competition, win, lose a draw, like, did I score more points than Johnny? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he's a goal. He's a goal, man. He's a young black thriving chef in Houston. So. Uh, I shoot for the stars, man. I don't, I ain't, I ain't care about anybody else. I'm shooting for the stars. <laughs> yeah. Well, you had a, you had a good day. Yes, sir. Um, before I let you go, we have to play the lightning round. Five easy questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Reginald Scott, what is your favorite cookbook? Don't have one. What is the first band you ever saw in concert? Bruno Mars. What is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive-thru. Mickey D fries. McDonald's fries. Who is your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? That's hard. Alvarez. Who? I'm sorry? The the baseball player? Little, the short. Altuve? Altuve. That's his name. I said Alvarez. Altuve. Got it. Yeah. All right. And then finally, when you when you go to a pizzeria for the first time, what are your go to toppings? It depends on where I'm at. See, that's hard. That's hard. That's hard, Eric. That's that's a real hard one. If I'm in Chicago, I'm getting Italian beef from Italian Fiesta. If I'm getting a standard piece of delivery, it's thin crust barbecue, um, spinach and banana peppers. I like it. All right. Well, you, like you said, you want people to follow you. So give us the Instagram. All right. So the Instagram handle is best damn underscore everything. Facebook handle, Chef Reginald Scott. Reginald, thanks so much for your time. This was a lot of fun. <laughs> thanks, Eric, for having me, man. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.